Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. He was a yellow-bellied, lily-livered chicken. He was threshing wheat behind the wine press because he didn't want the enemy to see him do it. He didn't want to get bullied. And so an angel appears to him and says, Thy mighty man of valor. <laughs> Who, me? Well, he's the only one there. The angel of God was speaking faith to Gideon. He, he could, the angel could have showed up and been saying the gospel truth and looked at him and said, you big chicken. And it would have been just as accurate, but the angel was speaking faith. See, God will speak faith to you. You need to catch this if you want to know the will of God. God's not going to show up to you and start dragging your past out from underneath his blood. I, I, I uh, <clears throat> you know, we got a, we got a lot of prophet lying going on in Pentecost right now. And uh, that, just, just bear with me. It's going to get uncomfortable. All this uh, mystic, you know, running all over and stand somebody up and list 50 things until they find something wrong with them somewhere in their family tree. That's not of God. God don't need to guess. God don't get no word. Ooh, I see these people. Somebody here, you live at such and such address. And so how is that of God? Somebody tell me that. That is the stupidest stuff I've ever seen in my life. Unless you forgot where you live, how does that benefit and glorify God? It don't. Because nobody goes, oh, what an awesome God. That man knew my address. They go, oh, he's incredible. He knew my address. That's how the devil works. Something dragging your past that's been forgiven out from underneath the blood, that's not of God. That's not of God. We got a lot of this going around. We, we, we need to be careful with this stuff. It makes, the Bible says little children try the spirit and see if it be of God. I was at a, a meeting some years ago, and uh, I had a, a, a prophet come up to me, and he says uh, to me, he says, and, and, you know, I knew, I knew his shtick. And he comes up to me, and he, he starts, you know, doing all this. I can't really do it because, man, that, that hurt. And, he, <clears throat> no, they always got to get spooky. You know, they always got to do something weird, you know. It's like, quit being weird. I mean, I know Old Testament prophets are weird, but if you want to be Old Testament prophet weird, go eat a poop sandwich because that's what they did. <laughs> Don't be weird for weird's sake. Some of y'all need to read your Bible through in a year because that's what Jeremiah did. God said, hey, go out there and find some dung, slap it between two pieces of bread, not even the good kind. Eat that, and then I'm going to give you a word. There would be a whole lot less prophesying going on if God was doing that. Then when God gets done with that, he said, go lay in the temple three and a half years on one side. I mean, could you imagine all that? Then, it, then God says, hey, I'm fixing to kill your wife, and when, and when I kill her, I don't even want you to cry. I just want you to carry your dead body through the streets silently. And I want you to tell Israel 
that the devastation I'm fixing to unleash on them is going to be so great they won't even have time to weep over their, their loved ones. And he did. Yeah, sign me up for that class, right? I mean, if you want to be weird and say, well, the Old Testament prophets were strange, well, then do a little bit of what they did then. Right off Highway 5, there's that big old farm. You can get all the sandwich material you need over there at Harris Ranch. <laughs> hey, man, they don't need to eat that sandwich because most of them are full of it anyway, praise God. So, so he comes up and he starts doing all this twitch stuff, and, and, and a lot of people knew him. And he comes up and he, and he says, he, he comes to me and he says, uh, the Lord has shown me that, 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 that that you have been hurt. I thought. <laughs> well, first of all, he's like, put your hands up, I got a word. And I'm thinking, why is my hands got to be up to get a word? <laughs> I, I don't know, sometimes that happens. I go pray for people a lot of times. Like, hey, raise your hands to the Lord, and I'll pray with them or something. But it's like, I've got a word to lift you. I didn't lift my hands. I was fine the way I was. I wasn't bothering him. He said, Lord, show me you've been hurt. And I'm thinking, wow. I mean, Captain Obvious of the USS Duh. I've seen you've been hurt. And I'm just standing there. And he says, uh, he says, am I right? And I went, I, exactly, I went, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of them guys, I mean, he's just, I am, I am astounded at the lack of discernment we have. Because we will run more to the spectacular than the supernatural. People, everybody, run into the Asbury Revival. Hey, that's awesome. Go to Asbury. I've seen people on Facebook. Do you see what God's doing over there? And we're not, I'm not going to knock it. If it's of God, it'll last. If it's not, it won't. But most of the people that won't shut up about how great it is won't even show up to prayer meeting at their own church. Don't tell me about, oh, I want to see what, God is, what God's doing in Kentucky. I want to see God do it here in Alabama or, or Texas or California or Vermont. Well, Show up to prayer. Start there. So you're caught up in the spectacular of it. Because it begins with me. And, and so he's, you've been hurt. I see there's been great hurt in your ministry. I think anybody's been in ministry longer than like five minutes is going to experience hurt. Matter of fact, it's one of the greatest guarantees Jesus gave. He turned to the 12 and said, people are going to hate you guys. Because of me. <laughs> I'd have been like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> Give me that Benny Hinn blessing. Where, where's all that at? And, and so you've been hurt ministering, and, 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 he, and, and then he's got a very, is that right? Because it's like if I say no, then he's going to go, well, then maybe it was your, you know, second cousins, third uncles, nephews, nieces, cats, dogs, rabbits, that maybe it was them. And I was like, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, and, and then here's where it got eerie. He started getting very specific about this situation that had happened. And he even named a timeline. And this is where he's, the Bible says, try the spirit to see if it be of God. 
And I'm going, who? And he begins to go into the detail of this hurt. And at this point, my first reaction was, oh. Then my next reaction was, oh. Wait a minute. Uh-uh. Somebody write about this. And he goes on. And I just let him. And he finally keeps going. And I, just, I put my hand up after about a couple minutes because he's going at it. And because it was so specific. And this is what I said to him. I, I said, hey, hold on a second. He goes, you receive this? I said, no. I said, brother, you don't even know what spirit you're of right now. I said, because that situation you're talking about has been reconciled. The relationship has been mended. There has been forgiveness. It is under the blood of Jesus. And for you to be able to bring that up tells me you're working in a spirit of divination, not the spirit of God. He said, well, I'm just telling you what God showed me. I said, then you don't even know. You're not even on the same team as God, and you don't even know it. You can pull something under the blood. This happened about seven or eight years ago. You can pull something out from underneath the blood that has been beyond reconciled. You're, you're working of a spirit, all right, but it ain't God's spirit. Say, so, well, pastor, they're spirit-filled. Yeah, just not God's spirit. Everybody's filled with a spirit. Amen. Amen. I, 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 it, was, it was almost comical if it wasn't so scary to just watch that ego go like that. It, it was done. He turned around and walked off. And y'all didn't even walk. He kind of jogged off a little bit. Why am I saying that? Because you've got to know the will of God. You've got to be able to discern the will of God. You know, this, this, this is a reason <clears throat> that I don't just go around palming everybody's heads on Sundays. And I know some people get upset about that. Well, Pastor, didn't pray for me in six months. Well, I'd rather pray for you when God tells me to pray for you. My Bible tells me to lay hands on no man suddenly. I'm not just going to go around slapping my hand on your head because I feel a tingly in my fingers. Jesus didn't even do that. One, one of the number one things, and we're going to be doing this in a few weeks, I'm going to teach on effective altar counseling. I've taught this all around the world and done seminars. One of the things, that if you don't have compassion for somebody, don't pray over them. Because the Bible said when Jesus was moved with compassion, he healed all their sick. Now, there are times I'll pray and God's not specifically saying, go pray for Abraham. It's just I feel I need to make that connection and I need to pray. But rare is the time in the situation where I'm just going to go around and just start touching everybody's head and pray for them. Why? Because in, for me, it lessens the contact of what God's trying to do in their life. In every service, I'm just, and in every service, they got the same sickness and the same battle. But what about the time when God will nudge me, pray for them, and they've had that sickness for three months, and then God, God somehow uses me as the vessel, as the donkey, as the rooster, to be able to pray for them, and in that moment, God heals them. It, doesn't that seem a whole lot more effective than three years of touching them and them never being? So maybe somebody was struggling with that. Pastor ain't touched my head in six weeks. Well, I'll get around to it when God says. Amen. Praise God. Now, it's not always like that. Sometimes, hey, we may just line you up this Sunday and just knock you all out. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
I'm just kidding. There, there are services where I feel to pray for everybody in the building. But it's not every service, right? I want to I follow the will of God. Amen? Somebody say the will of God. The will of God. Amen. And so Jesus said in John 10, uh, he starts teaching that he is the good shepherd. That he's the good shepherd. Now, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. That's so important. How many believe you're, you're a sheep of God's? Because you can't say sheeps. That's not a word. You know, cactus is a cactus, but many cactus is cacti. So you can't be a sheep eye. A goose is individual, but geese are many. You got a moose, but you don't have meese. English is the dumbest language sometimes, I think. Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that ridiculous? Come on, you bilingual people know what I'm talking about, right, Sister Raleigh? How do you say uh, multiple moose in Spanish? Like there's, because they don't have moose in South America, that's why. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We got moose, and, and so you got sheep, what would you have? Uh, shoop? If you flip it from moose to meese to sheep to shoop. All of you that lived through the 90s are going, don't do it, Pastor. All right. So, so say, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. Now, if I'm his sheep, then I will know his voice. It's that simple. I, I will know the voice of the good shepherd. I'll know his voice, and I will listen to that voice. And even when I can't always distinguish that voice, I will at least be able to have a relationship enough to know with the shepherd that I have with the shepherd that I will know if that is within the purview of what the shepherd would say. Does that make sense? I don't know why I'm really on it. Somebody, and every time I get on it like this, somebody gets a word supposedly from God and then they reach back to a message like this. With it. It'll happen within a few weeks. It's going to happen to somebody. Somebody's going to come up and say, I got a word for you. Or they're going to get a word. I don't know if they're going to get a, you know, a mailer from, from some soul hustler that's going to be mailing you something for money or whatever. Some, you know, TikTok theologian, some Facebook preacher with his hat backwards sitting in his living room screaming at you and all that. You need to know if it's within the purview of what the shepherd would say, right? You know, somebody says, I got a word from God. Oh, I got a word. Oh, I'm desperate for, because that's the thing. We're always desperate for, I'm always desperate for, I want to hear from God. Somebody says, God's speaking, I'm listening. Not skeptically listening, testfully listening. Because they may come to, oh, the Spirit of the Lord, I've got a word for you. Oh, yes, I need a word. I'm going through it right now. I'm struggling. I'm battling. I'm confused. I feel abandoned, alone. I hadn't heard from God. I'm in a desert. I can't feel God. It feels like my prayer life is dried up. And, and speak to me. Okay, here's a word. You are going to marry that person's spouse. Well, then you better know that ain't from God. You don't got to say, hold on, let me lay out a fleece. Don't lay out a fleece. Put up a hand. I'm not listening to that. But do you know how many people are suckered into that? And you usually don't start out with something that drastic. It usually starts out with something just a little subtle. Because see, the devil knows the Bible better than we do. 
all of us combined. See, he's been the devil a lot longer than I've been me. You got to think about, oftentimes we think, well, the devil, he just got in this game. The devil's been in this game since the world was formed. He's got every trick you can imagine. Amen. You got to know, you got to have a relationship with the shepherd that when the shepherd speaks, you know his voice. You know his voice. You know, <clears throat> I pick on our dog, uh, kind of my nickname, and it's an affectionate name. I, I, I call him smartest dumb dog in the world. Just because he can be a little goofy. But I'm going to tell you, that dog knows my voice. That, that dog, I could walk him. But I won't do it because I'm always, a, there's always that, you know, he's, he's husky. And so there's that wolf nature in him that I'm always aware of that if, if, if that wild, he's not as domesticated as we, I would like to think he is. Something get him, he wouldn't come back. But I, I, can, I can be out and take him off his leash and be people and just snap my finger and call his name. He'll come right back to me. Except with that blasted raccoon. He wouldn't have any of that. <clears throat> if my wife and daughter wouldn't have walked out, I think I could have separated them two and made them friends. But that, that undomesticated wild animal in him, when he saw... His pack, he went into kill mode, and we couldn't separate him at that point until he killed it. So what I'm saying is this. He knows my voice. Now, now, Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice. He didn't say, he didn't say they know my voice and another voice they don't hear. That's not what he said. He said they know my voice. Listen to this. And I know them. And then here's the test. And they follow me. There's going to be a lot, a lot of shepherd imitating voices. But he said there's only one voice they're going to follow. They may hear a lot of voices, but there's only one voice they're going to follow. I want to know the will of God. I want, it's not, all I need to know is the voice of God. Well, pastor, how do I know the voice of God? It starts with your Bible. It starts with a prayer life. I want to follow. You know how many, tragically, uh, I, I, I told somebody the other day, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to write a collection of stories that can't be published until I die. Because then nobody can get mad at me. Because I won't change names and, <laughs> you have to go to my grave and spit on me no do you know how many people have wrecked their lives and their families because they heard a shepherd-ish voice and followed it but Jesus said my sheep they may hear many voices matter of fact he said at one point there's going to come a day they're going to say behold Messiah is over here no, Messiah is over there, but don't you go there. There's going to be a lot of imitators. You've got to be so familiar with the tone of the voice of the shepherd and a relationship with the shepherd to know what the shepherd would say within the purview of that relationship. You've got to know that voice. So important to know that voice. I know what I'm saying is very elementary but it's setting us up for where we're going we have to know the voice of the shepherd it is vital 
that we have confidence that we know the voice of the shepherd. How many has ever heard an Elvis impersonator? Every one of them are terrible. You want to know why? Because I've heard the real one. I mean, not in person, obviously. I think he died before I was, when did he die? Like 78? No, that's right. He's in Maui. You would know. He's in Hawaii. <coughs> Amen. Him and Jimmy Hoffa play golf every week. But, but you know, they, they get up there and they, they may have the, the, the overalls and they may have the, the pork chop sideburns and they may have the stanky leg going real nice and they may even say, honga, honga, burn. But they're not Elvis. They don't sound like it. Not to me. I mean, some of them get pretty close. I, we were in Branson a while back and in one of the shows, the, uh, the guy said, the best, it, it, was, this, it, it was a family show, so, so only may get, go to Br- Branson's awesome. I love, Branson is the Pentecostals Las Vegas. And so <laughs> the only thing you're gambling on is that, that buffet. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the only thing you're going to gamble on amen go to Shoney's and you are rolling the dice there amen it used to be great it's not anymore and so they said we're the, the best impersonation of George Jones and he steps up and the guy's supposed to be doing George Jones I looked at my wife and I said that right there is enough to want me to get my money back don't even say he didn't sound nothing like the possum let me try to say George Jones because you can whine and moan a little what I'm trying to say is you better have such a familiarity with your shepherd's voice that you know when he is speaking because there's going to be a lot imitating there's going to be a lot imitating amen you can always take a word and the very first thing you should do is take a word that you've heard in prayer Hey, I've, I've had demons speak to me in prayer and thought it was God. Now, they wouldn't show up when you pray. Yes, they will. That's why James said, little children, you better try the spirit. See if it be of God. And that spirit didn't come up to me and say, you know, go take your gun to the mall and kill a bunch of people. It didn't say that. It didn't say that. Because I'm not going to listen to that. It, it'll say just enough to throw you off of your intended target in living for God. There was a flight some years ago that, that left Australia for, uh, for Antarctica to see, and it was a plane carrying 180-some people. They left um, Sydney, Australia, and they were flying around. I can't think of the big mountain there in Antarctica, and they were going to fly, and they t- I mean, a bunch of wealthy people. It cost thousands of dollars for a ticket back in the 80s. And this was before they had full autopilot onboard computers. And so when the, when, when, when the first officer navigated the trip, they took off. And, and the captain didn't verify everything because they had flown it. And so tragically, the, there was a storm and the clouds were low. And that plane crashed into the side of the mountain there in Antarctica and killed everybody on board. And when the investigators went, they found the black box, they heard it. The pilots were completely unaware they were flying into a mountain even when they saw it because everything's white with snow and ice. And they flew right into the mountain, did not even have a clue they were flying into. 
when they did listen to the voice box and they took the flight plan, they matched it all together. The first officer mapping out that flight missed it by 0.2 degrees, his calculations. And by the time they got 1,500 miles to that mountain, that 0.2 degree shift of miscalculation put them off by hundreds of miles and flying in the clouds until it opened right before they hit. They thought they were missing it because they started just 0.2 degrees off and it caused the death of everybody on that plane. What I'm saying is, is the devil is not trying to just throw, the devil's not trying to make you a crackhead. He's got plenty of them out there. He's not trying to make you an alcoholic. He's got men. What he wants to do is just get you off a little bit. Any of you ever done construction, you know what I'm talking about. You, you can't say that's good enough when you're building a wall. Because you may be winging it here, but by the time you get up, it's going to be so uneven and so off. You've got to make sure it is exacting. And see, this is what the enemy will do. He'll move up to you in a moment of prayer. While you're in prayer and while you're usually in times of great distress and seeking after God, and he'll come in and he'll whisper something to you. And it's not going to sound completely unlike the Word of God. See, when Jesus was with the devil in the wilderness at the temptation, Satan quoted scripture. He only misquoted the intent of it. That's why you got to take the word for everything you hear. Now, now here's the thing. Most of the time, that ain't going to fly. But when you are desperate, when you are desperate to hear from God, when you're in a situation of panic, you're in a time of great trial and tribulation, that's when the enemy's going to come in. He does not come in when you're on the mountaintop and everything's great and the bank account's full and the kids are doing all right and the job is great. And all. He don't come in. On, he comes in when, when everything starts coming in wrong and he doesn't say something outlandish and crazy. He just says something 0.2 degrees off. That's why you have to take every word and go right back to the Bible. Say, I'm going to hold that up against the word of God because this is the map through which I am planning the trajectory of my life. And if it's 0.2 degrees off right now, 10 years from now, it's going to lead to ruin in my life. Does that make sense? So it's not hard to know. If you know God, if you know him, if he is your shepherd, when he speaks to you, the Bible says... You will not follow another voice. Not that you wouldn't hear another voice, but you would not follow another voice. Look at somebody and say, I don't want to follow another voice. I don't want to follow another voice. This is so, so imperative and important for us to know the will of God and to know that we have to know his voice. And if the only time you pray, <coughs> excuse me, the only time you pray is at church, you don't know his voice. If the only time you read the Bible is when I'm reading my text, I promise you, you don't know his voice. But if you are in your word daily and you pray daily, you will know his, and you can know his voice with confidence. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Now, let's look at what Colossians says in Colossians 2. I'm going to try to start wrapping this up. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, <clears throat> Paul writes and says, for I would not, for I would that ye, uh, for I would that you know 
what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. As for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everybody say wisdom and knowledge. In who? Who? In Christ is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing. Everybody say enticing. enticing. That word enticing means empty. With empty words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So Paul is writing them now and he is saying that he wants their hearts to be comforted and he wants them to be knitted together. Amen. And so he starts talking about uh, the mystery of God. Notice he didn't say the mystery of the will of God. He didn't say God's will is a mystery. God is mysterious. I think we could say that to some degree, that the ways of God at least are mysterious. He said, my ways are above your ways, my thoughts above your thoughts. I don't got God figured out. He said, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, you could look at that and say, well, there it is, pastor. Uh, the treasure of wisdom and knowledge is hid. Well, he told you where it was. It's in Christ. So if you want the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, you go to Christ. So it's not like he said, well, they're hid and you can't find them. If that was the case, he would have said, there are treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For me to know, you to find out. He didn't say that. He said, in whom? Talking about in Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this, lest any man beguile you with enticing or empty words. And what he is saying is, if you get in Christ, if you know Christ, then you're going to have the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so that you won't be led astray by someone with enticing or empty words that would beguile you, or the word beguile means to deceive or to lead astray. The actual Greek word picture is one being led astray from the fold or from the flock or from the herd that would be led astray. In other words, Paul begins to write the same word picture that Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they will follow after me he says the wisdom is in Christ it's in his word it's in a relationship with him to know the will of God in your life you can have that you can it's not some mysterious thing that you can never know you're supposed to be able to know it he told you where the treasure was he told you where knowledge was he told you where wisdom was where it's in Christ so that we won't be beguiled Amen. Or as one writer would say, blown about with every wind of doctrine. You got to get it for yourself. So the key to knowing the will of God is 
Ready? This is profound. Um, we got oxygen bottles in case people faint. It's pretty profound. You got to know God. It's that simple. I, I didn't, I, I mean, you know, sometimes I think if we say something really difficult and hard and people go, yeah, 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 that's it. But when it's so simple, sometimes we go, surely that can't be it. But Paul said, there's a treasure that's hidden in Christ and it contains all wisdom and knowledge. All you got to do is go to him. That's like somebody handing you a treasure map. And, and instead of it having clues, it just has an arrow. You ever seen those treasure maps? You, you got to go here and there's a clue there and you got to go get another clue and that, from that clue you find it. Okay, was it like a scavenger hunt, treasure hunt type? That's not how it works with God. Paul said, I'm giving you the direction to the treasure. Quit trying to run to every mystical cave to find the will of God when all we have to do is to go to Christ. I preached on this Sunday, which is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word was made flesh. If we go to his word, if we go to God in prayer, then we're we're, going to know the will of God. That you might be able to prove that which is that perfect good or that good Uh, acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Let me close on Ephesians chapter 1. Amen. We're going to bite this off and we're going to chew on it and and possibly I'll come back to it uh, next week or the week after or however this works out. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number (coughs) 8. Hope I'm giving you some stuff to think about. Amen. And uh, so you can know the will of God. I, I want you to know the will of God. You, you know, I'm going to say this. I, I believe God will speak and does. I've, I've done this long enough to know that God does, uh, will and does rather speak um, about situations to the pastor uh, for people. And oftentimes it's a verification or, or a lot of times I'll know it way before someone else does. I, but, but I also want to say, I'm not that pastor that says, before you buy that car, check with me. I need to pray and see if it's the will of God. As I'm going to tell you right now, I could give a flying leap what kind of car you buy. You know your budget, not me. Pastor, I'm praying. I, I need the will of God. I don't know if I need to buy a Buick or, or if I need to buy a Ford. Well, listen. <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. Now, big things, hey, that, that's, I understand. I'll pray with you. Oftentimes, I'm going to say, what do you feel? You want to know why? Because if I said, buy that Buick, when that engine goes out, I guarantee you're going to think, well, pastor said it was the will of God to get the Buick. How come the engine went out? Come on. And then you know what the devil does? He slides in on that and says, See, your pastor don't hear from God. People come, pastor, is it the will of God that, 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 that I, you know, marry this person? Well, I'll pray with you, but I'm not going to say, God hath shown me. Marry that person, because inevitably, y'all are going to get in a fight. You're going to have an argument. You should. You should do it before you get married. That was, that was Bishop Price's rule. He wouldn't marry anybody that didn't have a good knockdown, drag out argument. He did say, I'm not going to marry you until you have, a, until you have an all-out, not fist fight. You get what I'm saying. Until you have a big fight. He said, I'm a, and, and this was his reason why. He said, because you don't know who that person is until they're ticked off. 
You don't want to be four weeks after the wedding finding out the way he shows his anger is with his fist. That's a good thing to find out before you get married. You don't want to find out one year after, after the marriage that the way, the way she gets back after an argument is in some other man's bed. These are things you need to find out before. Okay, well, anyway. So I'm not going to be the one going, yes, this will absolutely. I, I'll pray with you. I'll say, well, you know, I feel good about it. I'm not going to say, yes, the Lord hath ordained this from before the time, before, before the first star was flung. Please proceed with this marriage. Because I've seen this happen. I've seen people lose out with God because somebody come up and said, this is, I was in, I've been in a service one time when, when somebody stood up in tongues of interpretation that two people in the church are supposed to get married. And the person given the tongues of interpretation, <laughs> it was for the girl to marry her son. I've, t- I've seen some stuff, y'all. I've even seen people t- give tongues of interpretation. The Lord said, I'm not even in this place, saith the Lord. I'm telling you, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. I'm telling you, I've seen it happen. I've seen somebody sit over here one night in revival service. We, had, we were four hours into the altar call. I mean, we were there on almost midnight. And, and this guy's over here. Oh, no, no, no. He started, oh, saith the Lord. And we all stopped. You know, it's time to, oh, saith the Lord. We're all listening. Say it, Lord. Say it. Say it, the Lord. Times are hard. Yay, times are hard, my children. Times are so hard, I don't even know if I can make it myself. It happened. It happened. Lewiston, Idaho happened. I won't tell you where the other one happened because it was too close to here. Amen. In service one time, well, I could write a book. Publish it when I die. <laughs> My home church, this happened in Texas, Canada. I love it. Pastor Hurst and I, we talk about it. So, man jumps up. I think I've told the story. Oh, he was a special brother. And uh, Pastor kept talking about be used of God. Don't worry about it. I'll sort it out later. And so somebody gave tongues. And this man jumped up. And bless his heart. He had the strongest stuttering problem you ever heard in your life. And he jumped up and he said, Oh, forget it. And he sat down. <laughs> we were done. Pastor Hurst got up and said, Well, folks, um, he did just like, Well, folks, um, yeah, we're not recovering this service. Go enjoy your pizza. God bless you. Dismiss the service. <laughs> I'll never get that. Oh, forget it. Well, he tried, bless his heart, amen. The time pastor was preaching, if you had enough faith, and we had a church's brick. He said, if you had enough faith, you can, you can, you can run through that wall, man. Most churches have got one. And Brother Ernie, oh, simple Brother Ernie, he jumped up, and I'm telling you, he ran full speed into that wall. Bam! He hit that wall, and you heard it. I mean, it was meat slapping concrete. Bow! And he just went, like, timber! We all saw him in a service, like, rocking, and we all just went, oh! We'll kind of look at Pastor Hurst, and he goes, well, he didn't have enough faith. Somebody call the ambulance. <laughs> and we did. And stitches all upside. God bless him. Amen. 
how you got to know the will of God. You got to know the will of God. God tells you to run through that brick wall. You better know it's the will of God. Amen. He just need a little bit more faith. Amen. <laughs> Have mercy, boy. I could tell a lot of them. I'm not going to. Amen. Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna close on this. I'm gonna give you a taste of where, where we're gonna go in the next in the next lesson. Beginning at verse number eight. So y'all are imagining it. I've still got it replaying in my mind. Full on like Wiley Coyote going into the wall. <laughs> Funny thing was when he jumped up, he looked side to side like which I, which wall am I running through? And he just he was out of shape. He didn't run well. I mean, he looked like every joint was coming out when he was running. I ain't gonna say he was big, but bless his heart, he had a lot of momentum going into that brick wall. It's a miracle we didn't have to replace it. Next time you see Bishop Hurst, ask him about. Amen. <laughs> oh, we've had some doozies in Texarkana. Amen. We removed the front pews one time because we were, didn't have enough room in the altar. And we had this lady, she'd come in. This was back when the charismatic revival, renewal was really big, and she was, she, she wasn't worshiping. She was there to just use as a distraction. And so the problem was we removed those pews just like a few days earlier, and we didn't have enough time to shave the bolts, you know, that come up out of the carpet that bolted the, and she would come in, and she would pull flags out like this and start thinking, well, you know, we don't do that stuff, you know. Um, I, and and <laughs> she'd already been told, don't do it. She got to, she got to getting out there and tw like twirling like a ballerina. I'm not even going to try. Twirling like a ballerina and like hopping and doing all that stuff. It wasn't worth it. That's not worship. That kind of stuff. That's a look at me. That's not worship. And she went to hop and, and she jumped up and did this twirl and she came down on one of them bolts. <laughs> she jumped and grabbed her foot and started spinning and she spun up grabbing her foot yelping all the way out. We never saw her again. I just don't know. Verse 8, Ephesians 1, we're going to close with this. Wherein he hath abounded toward us all, or toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Everybody say, all wisdom and prudence. That word prudence there means understanding. Having made known unto us what? The what? The what? The mystery of what? There you go. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, oh, hallelujah, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Did you catch that? That he, watch it again, verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. How? Through wisdom and understanding. Through wisdom and understanding. Don't get mad at the teacher if you didn't study the book and you flunked the test. He said all the answers are in the book. Through understanding and through wisdom, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. The will of God is not meant to be like chasing a cloud that you can never grab a hold of. The will of God is designed to be known for your life. All we need to do is know him. Search after. He's given us the book. Well, is it God or is it not? Go to the, go to the book. Is it his voice? Is it not his voice? Go to the book. Do I follow? Do I not follow? Go to the book. It's really simple. If we are his sheep, we what? We know his voice. And, and then when we recognize his voice, what do we do? Huh? No, no, we're supposed to lay a fleece out and say, no, no, no. Say it again. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to say, no, 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 make the, make the wool wet and the ground dry. And then when the Lord does it, we say, I know it's your voice. I know it's you, Jesus. I got faith. But just one more. Make the ground uh, dry and the wool wet and then the wool dry and the, and, and the ground wet. And then if you'll do those two things, I'll, I'll, I'll follow after you. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to already know his voice. And then when we know his voice, what did he say in John? We're going to follow after him. How many times has God spoke to us and we knew it was God, but we didn't have the faith to step toward his voice? That's what we've got to eliminate in our walk with God. We know it's of God, but we have so much fear trying to take that next step between here and there. And it was said like this, Brother Garza, if you come. The apostle said it like this. I believe it was John that said, If our hearts condemn us not, then have we what? Confidence toward God. But if our hearts condemn us, we don't have confidence. We can hear God's voice. We can know it's God's voice. We can know what the will of God for our life is. And we'll jump into this part in the next, in the next lesson. How do I get from hearing, knowing, understanding, and then acting upon the will of God? It takes faith. The Bible says without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. It takes faith to take that step. I want to know the voice of God. I want, but more than anything, I want to know it and I want to have the confidence and the faith 
to follow after the voice of God. Would you stand with me? Amen. It's not always easy to follow. It's, listen, it shouldn't be hard to know his voice if we're in the book. We have a prayer life, right? We've established that. The difficult part is the next part, and that's where we follow the voice of God. I, I, I use a lot of personal illustrations because I know me better than anybody else's story. And last year, um, I, I, my wife tells the story better than me. We went skiing in Colorado, and I got her, finally convinced her to go skiing with us. And I did what any good husband would do. I took her to the top of the mountain. Remember, we paid for the ticket. We're going to get all that mountain. Brother Ryan, we're going to get every, we're going to get every inch of that mountain. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had, uh, and I'm a pretty good, I think I'm a pretty good teacher. I can, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm ne- I'm not going to take anybody up there and get them hurt. Now, don't get the wrong picture. Took her to the top of the mountain. You know, it's like a 1,000 foot cliff that you hang on and just claw your way. It's, it was easy, right? Relatively. And we get up there and I bought this stuff. You know, you got to put that fog stuff on the inside of your goggles because you need the goggles. It's like seven degrees up there. You need your face covered. And uh, they even, I would even put some of them on her glasses because she didn't have her contacts with her. And she gets up there and I mean the whole way up the mountain, you know, she's like, I can't see. And she's pulling these things off. And, and, and I mean, the wind, I mean, you could write messages on her goggles. They were so fogged up. And so, figured out it it was the glasses. She had to take the glasses off. Well, here's a problem. And I'm not saying anything you don't already say. Without her glasses, she's blind as a bat. She can't see without her glasses. So we get to the top of the mountain, and she don't have her glasses, and she's a little panicked. And I don't blame her because she's never been down this mountain. We're, you know, we're at like over 50, about 14 and a half, 15,000 feet up. And we're going down this mountain. It's a long ways down this mountain. And she can't see. And I, when I say she can't see, I mean, I don't know if she could read a billboard from me to you. I don't know how bad it is, but she couldn't see nothing. And so I said, hey, just get in front of me. And I walked her through, you know, this is how you stop and turn, you know, and do your S's and all that stuff. We, she knew that. And I said, but just, just listen to me. And I even got a lot of it on my GoPro. I didn't realize my, my camera had turned on. Well, Addie... Is just got no patience. She just takes off. She's ready to ski the mountain. And here goes my wife in front of me. And I realized pretty quickly, not only could she not see, like she could not see. It's all white and it's fogged up. And so I realized very quickly I'm having to do this. Turn. Turn. I mean, it's like 19 minutes on my GoPro, and all you hear is me going, good job, babe, that's it, keep going, just like that. Now turn, good job, keep going, keep going, keep going, now turn. And she couldn't see 10 feet in front of her. I could see the whole way down the mountain. I knew where the curves were. I knew where it went from green to blue, because it didn't really inform her. There was a blue section in the middle, which means you go from beginner to intermediate in the middle. And, you know, she wouldn't have voluntarily went if I'd have told her that. And we, we needed her to get up the mountain. So it was by faith, follow. And so we turn. And I'm like, okay, baby, it, you're fixing to feel a little drop off. But I, I, I need you to dig in 
to that wedge and just keep turn, hold that pizza position and just wedge, wedge, turn. And she'd go across the slope and I'd say, okay, and I'm hollering, turn. And she'd go, oh, you're doing good, you're doing good. Keep your speed like that. Just keep going all the way down. When she looked back at that video, I thought she was going to murder me. Because it was quite a chore for somebody who hadn't skied in 20 years. But she made it all. Had she seen where she was going, she might have got back on that lift and rode it down. The whole way down, she was just, there were probably two or three hundred people on those slopes just flying between us. Laughing. They're coaching their own kids, their own spouse. Turn here, do this, do that. She was locked in on one voice. Turn. Turn. Ski school's passing us. Turn this way. She knew the voice. And she turned. Turned. And she got, and I'm going to tell you, I'm kind of a little proud of this. She didn't even fall, not one time, going down that whole mountain. And I'd like to think part of it was skill. The other part was, it was a voice. I said that to say, if you know his voice, you can get through things you can't even see and understand. You've just got to trust, know, and then do what God says. And when you get to the bottom of the mountain, you're going to look up and go, I cannot believe I made it. How did you make it? Because there's a voice of a shepherd that's telling you what to do, when to do it. All you got to do is obey. If she would have locked in her heels, she'd be a frozen statue on top of Copper Mountain right now in Colorado. But she had the faith to go on down the mountain. Some of you need to hear me tonight. God is already speaking. God is already telling you, do this, do that. Now you need to take your poles, if you would, and push off down the mountain and put your life in the hand of your shepherd and say, okay, God, I'm going to listen to your voice. And when it gets scary and all of a sudden you may see trees and you're a little nervous, just hold on. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life. And he will reveal to you with wisdom and with understanding that you might know the mystery of the will of God for your life, that it won't be mysterious anymore, that he will show it to you. Would you lift your hands right now and say, God, I want to follow after your voice. I want to do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want. Lord, I'm listening, God. I'm listening. I know there's a lot of voices out there right now trying to confuse me. I know there's a lot of situations, a lot of circumstances. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of distractions, Lord. But I know your voice, and I will not follow another. God, I've got confidence, Lord. Hallelujah. God understands your hesitation. Hear me tonight, right where you are. He understands your hesitation. He understands your fears. He knows your struggles. But what you've got to say right now is, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you, God, to forgive me of my fear and my hesitation, but I hear your voice, and I'm going to follow your voice. Even when I can't see you, I'm going to follow your voice. Even when it's scary, even when it's foggy, even when it's cloudy, even when it's stormy, 
before me. I'm going to follow after your voice because your voice is not going to lead me, oh God, into a place that's detrimental to me. But Lord, you are leading me to green pastures. You are leading me beside the still waters. You may be leading me through the valley of the shadow of death, but it's not to be staying there as a resident. It's only to pass through. I'm going to follow your voice. You are the good shepherd. You know the way that I need to go in my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I feel strength and I feel faith rising in this place. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your voice. I thank you for the peace and the comfort of your voice. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.